0: Let's turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew 9 is where we're going to be this morning. And uh, just to set up this, what we're going to read, Matthew is uh, is a great book because every so often, the, the author, Matthew, gives you these summary statements of what's been going on. He gives you these little, again, summary statements. A couple chapters will go by, a few chapters, and boom, here's what he'll give you, assessment of what's been going on. And so... Jesus, obviously, if we go back in the beginning, we don't have time to look at all this, but Matthew chapter 4 or, is when Jesus is baptized. He publicly comes on the scene to, and starts preaching that the, that the kingdom of God is at hand. And then we have famously Matthew seven through, uh, 5 through 7, which is the Sermon on the Mount. When Jesus, this is Jesus' most famous sermon. He preaches it all over the place, and he starts declaring what the kingdom is and how people living in the kingdom should live. And then chapters 8 and 9 are then Jesus going out and saying, not only am I declaring what the kingdom is, I'm going to demonstrate what the kingdom looks like. So he goes out and he starts healing all these people, and he's calming the storm, and he and he's, has charge over demons, and he's, just, he's establishing his authority. So he taught in authority, he's teaching authority, but he's demonstrating authority. And so that's really the context for what we're about to read in verse 35 through 38. And so let's read it along, if you will, with me. It says, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Now that's Matthew 5 through 7. That's what he's preaching. Now look, and and, healing every disease and affliction. That's Matthew 8 and 9. So Jesus is declaring the gospel and he's demonstrating the gospel. That's what he's doing here. And here's the question. Why is he doing this? Why is he doing all these things? Let's look at verse 36 because he tells us. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So this morning, I, I, I want to talk to you about what, why Jesus does what He does. Because obviously, the things that Jesus says and does are should matter to us as followers of Jesus. And here's what I know, and and I hate to be I hate to be a downer this morning, but here's the reality that we find ourselves in today in 2018, in in the United States. You and I are living in. The greatest decline of Christianity in the history of our nation. Let me say it again. You and I, we are living during the greatest decline of Christianity in the history of our nation. Now, think about that for a moment. That, that should be a very sobering thought. And I, and I believe this that one of the reasons why that's happening is because we, the people of Jesus, the followers of Jesus, have neglected to declare and to demonstrate the gospel of Jesus. We have forgotten to do that. Just like Jesus shows us right here in this passage, why was he doing this? Because he saw the crowds and he had compassion for them. They were like sheep without a shepherd and he felt something and wanted to do something about it. And so, you know, we can look at why, if you can say, well, why are we not declaring and demonstrating the gospel like we should? Well, We're going to get into that a little bit, but I'm not just making that up. I have a good friend who, um, he he runs a uh, statistics thing, and uh, he's got his PhD in statistics, so he is way smarter than me, okay? And he has surveyed over 50,000 church-going Americans over the last few years, and hundreds of churches, and this is what he has found. There's three number twos uh, that that really stick out to me, all right, and if you want to, find out why are we here today? Why are we in a position where the church is declining and lostness is increasing? The first number two is this, that the average church-going uh, person only has two non-believing friends. The average person only has two non-believing friends. So when you even talk about people that you know, that you could call someone close to you, the average Christian only has two people who are, who are far from God. The second number two is this, the average Christian, the average church-goer, only shares the gospel two times per year. Two times per year. That's the average, okay? And then finally, only 2%, and from this survey, 50,000 church-going Christians, only 2% of all church-going Christians ever lead someone to Christ in their lifetime. That, that, those numbers are indictment that we have lost, we have forgotten what God has called us to. And so what Jesus does here is he sees the harvest the way I believe that he wants us to see the harvest. He he sees the people around him that that, that are, are helpless and hopeless apart from the gospel. And so I want to talk to you about seeing the harvest the way Jesus saw the harvest. When Jesus saw the crowds and had compassion for them, how do we recapture that today? And so we're going to look at Um, the response of seeing the harvest. We're going to look at obstacles of seeing the harvest and then we're going to see the responsibility for seeing the harvest. That's where we're going today. But I believe this. If we don't see the harvest the way Jesus saw the harvest, we will not live on mission with Jesus. If you and I are going to get back to living as missionaries where where we live and where we work and where we play, then we, we are going to rediscover this missionary calling. And so, So I think we need to look again at what what he says here, verse 36. says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Let's look at, first of all, how do we recapture uh, living on mission with God? We have to first have the response of seeing the harvest. Jesus has a unique response to seeing the harvest right here. And his response was, he saw the crowds and then he had compassion for them. Okay? He saw the crowds and he had compassion for them. Now, when I say the harvest, what do I mean by that? What I mean by the harvest is everybody in your community that is in a helpless and hopeless state apart from Jesus Christ. How many people are, is that in Greenville? I don't know. I haven't done the demographics, but just think about how much. what was that number? Because if you don't know that number, if you don't know what the lostness is in Greenville... We don't understand the responsibility that we have laying before us as followers of Jesus. Because many times we count things like we count how many people are coming to church, which is great. It's wonderful. We should count those kinds of things. But shouldn't we know what our mission field is in our backyard? Shouldn't we know who the mission field is around us? And so Jesus, it says when he calls the harvest, it's every person that was close to him but far from God. That's who the harvest was. And so Jesus sees the, sees the crowd, he has compassion for them. Now, this is not just a random, you know, seeing something and feeling something uh, that's just random here. This is actually a pattern we see, and this is specifically used by Matthew, and Jesus uses the same wording. This is a cause and effect of seeing and having compassion four times in Scripture, four times in the New Testament. This is one of them. The next one is in Matthew 14, 14 where Jesus is getting away with his disciples um, to, to get a little R&R, and the crowds follow him. It's the feeding of the 5,000. And so all these people show up, thousands of people show up. It says when Jesus saw the crowd, he had compassion for them. He, Jesus uses this in one of his parables, with the parable of the Good Samaritan, where the guy who's been beaten and robbed and left for dead, it says when the Samaritan was riding by him, he saw the man, and he had Compassion for him. And finally, Jesus uses the same cause and effect from when he's telling the story, the parable of the prodigal son. The son goes away, lives, lives a debauched, sinful, rebellious life, and decides to come back to the Father. And says when the father saw him a far way off, he had compassion get compassion so jesus here shows us something that when we see people in need and when we see lostness we should have compassion it's something that if we don't have compassion there's something wrong and so we, do we really have compassion one of the words compassion we really need to define for us because to, what does this word really mean does it mean you feel sorry for them it's deeper than that. And this is, when, 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 when Matthew writes this, when Jesus says this, when it says that he had compassion, there's a very specific Greek word that is used. And I don't like using a lot of Greek in my sermons, but here's what I, it's, it's such a funky word, I just have to share it with you. It's a word that you'll probably never be able to say and pronounce ever again. But this is the word. This word, what he felt compassion, is the Greek word splagnizomai. All right? It even has one of those splagnid, you know slagnidzoma that's how you really say it it's this, it's this deep feeling of emotions because the the intestines were the splogna. and so splagnidzoma is I feel it in my intestines I feel it in my gut I am have you ever has that ever happened to you something something you hear news you you hear about somebody or something happens to you and there's just this deep sense of heaviness in your heart, heaviness in your soul. Jesus is saying, "I the, the depth of love and the depth of pity and compassion he feels for these for, for the lost people around him was so intense. And we have to ask ourselves, do we feel the same thing? Do we feel compassion for the lostness around us? When I was a kid, I, uh, I grew up in the church uh, because my dad was a pastor. I had no choice. OK? And so I grew up going to church my whole life, and the churches I grew up in, what we used to have these things called Sunday night service. You guys ever remember a Sunday night service? Some of you grew up in the church. And every once in a while we'd have a very special speaker who would be a missionary from out of the country. And what they'd do is they'd set up their little slide projector in the middle aisle, and they would project pictures, and they would flip through the slides. And they would show us um, places like Africa and Asia and South America. and They, they would show, one of the things that they would want to show is, this is why we're here. And they would show issues of the darkness and, and and it you know, might be tribalism or something like that. But it was just, here's why we we're here trying to show the good news. Here's the depth of lostness that's around us. And you sit there, I remember as a kid being like, oh, man, I feel so bad for those people. I'm so glad that guy's there and... And I'm glad he's sharing the gospel with them. And with the when the lights would go on and we'd walk out the building, you know what I would think about? Where are we going to eat tonight? That's what I would think about. So it wasn't, that's not splagna. That's not compassion. While the, while the pictures are there, and where, while he's talking about, yeah, I felt bad. Yeah, I felt something. But when the, when the lights turned on and I walked out of the environment, I didn't feel it anymore. That's not what Jesus feels here. Jesus has this this depth of conviction that, man, I want to see these people know me. And that's what we need. And I know it's hard. It's hard because if we are not feeling that today, if you're sitting there saying, Ben, listen, I can't remember the last time I felt compassion for someone who's lost. I can't remember the last time I looked at Greenville. I looked at my neighborhood. I looked at my employees or my my fellow workers, and I felt compassion for them because of the lostness that they have. And I believe that one of the ways that we can recapture this, this compassion is understanding this. We will never be able to grasp the depth of compassion for the lost people around us if we have forgotten that Jesus once saw us. See, you and I weren't born into the kingdom naturally. You and I are by nature children of wrath. You and I by nature are enemies of God. By nature, we are sinners in rebellion against God. But yet God saw you. God saw you. He saw the depth of your sin and Jesus had compassion for you. And if you've forgotten that, one of the things that, that that the gospel does, and I know Ben Tugwell, and I know he's in a, a great preacher of the gospel and gospel-centered preaching, and I know one of the things he does is remind you guys of the gospel a lot. But I think one of the things we have to remember is this. We will never be able to have compassion towards other people the way that we're supposed to have unless we understand how much compassion God showed us. I think one of the things that happens is when we when we follow Jesus, the, our, our understanding of God's love... Uh, the, the, the breadth of that that is our understanding of, of, of the holiness of God and our understanding of our own sinfulness. And as we come to Christ, the first time you come to Christ, you understand there's a gap between the holiness of God and my own sinfulness. But here's what should be happening. Here's what should be happening. I love that mature. Part of a, a true sign of maturity of, of Christian is not just knowledge of I know a lot of things about the Bible, but here's what I think happens to us or should happen to us. As we follow Jesus, the longer we follow Jesus, here's what happens. Our understanding of God's holiness increases, right? And as our knowledge of God's holiness increases, what also happens as we continue to follow God and read God's word, our understanding of our own sinfulness increases. And day by day and week by week and year by year, this, this, the, the depth of or the height of God's holiness and the depth of our own sinfulness becomes so paramount to one another that it should be filled with the love of Christ. To understand, man, the gap between what God had to do to love me, that's what compels us to have compassion. And if you feel cold towards the lost people around you, I promise you this, it's because you have forgotten the depth and and the width between who God is and who we were before Christ. And we've got to recapture that. And so one of the things that, that we understand is it is an obstacle. Jesus saw the crowds. He had compassion for them. Um, But here's the reality. Not everybody had compassion for this crowd. The Pharisees didn't have it. The other religious leaders didn't have it. Why did Jesus have compassion for this crowd? In fact, he calls them. Look again what it says in verse 36. He had compassion for them. Why? Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. How was Jesus able to see these people? the way they really were in this helpless state apart from him. Well, that leads us to our sec, second point. We have to understand the obstacles of seeing the harvest because, listen, for many of us, we don't see the people that are close to us and far from God as helpless. We don't see them as sheep without a shepherd. We, we don't feel any compassion towards them, and so we have to confront the own, our own obstacles to seeing the harvest and re- realize this is a real problem for us. It's a problem for me as I'm getting ready to study this week, and I'm getting ready to preach a sermon this week to you guys. I'm sitting there, and the Holy Spirit's convicting me say, Ben, what about your neighbor across the street? What about these people? What about this person in your life? And so I realize, I'm not just saying this, hey, this is easy. This is hard. It is so hard because even I look at my life as a pastor and as someone who works with with churches, and we we do Christ Together. We go all around, and we are working together to help pastors uh, work together to reach lost to reach the lostness in their cities, and I'm doing all these things. And the Holy Spirit reminds me this week: Listen, Ben, you can do. We can be so busy with church work, and you for, forget to be with the the harvest, to be in the harvest. And so I know this is hard. I know this is hard because the longer we we seem to follow Christ, the longer you get more involved in church, the easier it is to walk away and step away from the lostness around you. And so this is a real challenge. And so I think there are really three different obstacles that we have to overcome. And you might be sitting here this morning saying, all right, Ben, I haven't been feeling compassion for the lost people around me. And I guarantee you can trace it back to one of these three things. The first one is we see sin instead of the harvest. We see sin instead of the harvest. It is so easy for us to see others as the enemy as opposed to people that are basically... In, in bondage from the enemy and, and this is a revolutionary thing I'm about to say to you what I'm about to tell you is life changing and will transform the way you think about your city are you ready for this? this is it sinners sin does that make sense? Why do we... Here's what I I find. We as Christians, people who go to church, people who understand right and wrong, who understand the way of Christ, we understand the law of God, and we get it. We should get it. And why is it that when we see people who are far from God act like people far from God, we are shocked? (gasps) Can you believe that? Can you believe that person who doesn't love Jesus, who doesn't know about Jesus, who doesn't know about the cross, would actually sin? How dare they? Don't they know we're Americans, right? Listen, this is a real problem for us. Why do we have expectations for people who don't know Jesus to act like people who know Jesus? We see, I see it on, on, on social media all the time. Oh, I am outraged that you would think like that. Why wouldn't they think like that? Why wouldn't they live like that? They don't know any better. They're lost. They don't have the Holy Spirit. They don't know Jesus. How will they be able to live that way unless they hear and know about Jesus? And so one of the things that we've got to do is understand that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. That the people that are caught in in, an ensnare to their sin in living in bondage, un- under, in rebellion against God, they, do not, they should not receive our scorn. They should not receive our, our disappointment. They should not receive our anger. They should not receive our frustration, but they should receive our compassion and love. Now listen, this is hard. This is so hard because God tested me with this this year by giving me the neighbor from hell. It is easy to say we need to love our neighbor and love sinners, and then all of a sudden, someone next door moves—you know—moves in, and they make your life really hard. And they start doing stuff that you're wondering: Is this affecting the value of my home right now? Right? And you're scared to let your kids go out—you know—at certain times of the day, afraid of what's going to happen to them. And you see police cars pulled up every so often to there, and it's just—it's a wreck. And I'm thinking like this whole time. I'm like, I start praying for God to move them. You ever done that? You ever pray for God to like, God, take these people out of my life? I don't want to deal with them anymore, God. And I I, 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 so I'm sitting here as I'm as I'm wrestling with this neighbor issue, right? And in the middle of one of my prayers one time, I'm like, God, move these people away in the name of Jesus, okay? The Holy Spirit's like, hey, um, they're the harvest. You know, these are the people that you pray for when you ask for to see a movement of, of a movement of, of of me in your community. Do we really believe that the harvest is filled with people who who might be the next best evangelist in our community, the next church planter, then the next children's worker? we believe that the, that the laborers are actually out there? And so I think that that's one of the things that we have to challenge with. And God was like, you got to stop praying for God. you got to stop praying to me to remove these people from your life. And you start praying for them. And maybe just pray for yourself that you see them the way I see these people. And have compassion for them. And so we have to confront our own hearts and say, do I see does the sin of other sinners bother me so much that I've lost my compassion for them? We have to stop being shocked when people who don't know Jesus act like people who don't know Jesus and start being compassionate towards them in their lostness. The second thing is we see differences instead of the harvest. We see differences instead of the harvest. We tend to see people in their differences as opposed to their common need. Jesus, again, he takes everyone, the crowd, think who 's in this crowd? as many segmented groups and population groups that were that were that exist today were, were back then. you had the Essenes, these are the people who were religious fanatics who would separate from people and they just believed we just need to you know get away and hide ourselves and then you had the zealots who believed that we, they should overthrow Rome by throwing bombs at them or whatever and, it, and they were kind of like mini terrorists and then you had, you had the tax collectors and the Jews that were Hellenists and they bought into the Roman system and then you had the Pharisees and then you, you just had all these different groups and they were all there in the crowd. And Jesus doesn't say, I saw the Pharisees and then I saw these people and then I saw the Essenes and I saw the Zealots and I saw the, the Gentiles and I saw the... No, he saw the harvest. He put everybody in one group because these are the people to to Jesus, you were either someone that was part of the kingdom or you're someone outside of the kingdom who needed to hear about the kingdom. Those are the two groups that Jesus dealt with. And what we do today is we do the same thing. Oh, this is this is a group, you know, I see political party, I see skin color, I see nationality, I see sexual orientation, I see it now. Listen, the world has tried to put people in these categories to define people by what they do or what their external things. And Jesus is saying, you have to start seeing people's souls. And you have to start seeing people the way I see people. Because when, I, when Jesus sees someone, he doesn't say, well, they are obviously someone who would never accept me because of, they're part of the wrong political party and this group and that group, and so I won't even talk to them. No, pe- there's people that are part of the harvest. You're either part of the harvest or you're part of the kingdom. That's the way Jesus saw people. And we have got to recapture the way Jesus saw people. Do we see their differences or do we see their common need for the gospel? The third obstacle I think we have to see, and this is the biggest one. I think this is bigger than, um, than, than sin. I think this is bigger than our differences. And that's this. We see ourselves instead of the harvest. You and I, we get so caught up in what we do. We don't even have time to see the sheep. We don't even have time to see the crowds. We don't have time to see what the needs are around us because we're so locked into our agenda, our ideas, our plans, our program, that we have our thing. And man, praise God, we make time for Jesus on Sunday and maybe a couple other times during the week. But other than that, man, I'm doing my own thing. And when I go to God, I ask God to bless what I'm doing. And so what we can do is we can be so consumed with our thing that we forget what God is doing and what God wants to do but listen if you are if you are you cannot serve God in your own agenda one of one of you're going to have to reject one or accept the you know, accept the other but there's no there, there's you can't see, there's going to be a fork in the road where you do what God wants or you do what you want and you can't you can't, you can't walk both trails now, a couple of years ago, my, my, um, uh, my family and I, we got a chance to go away, and our fa- for our tenure, tenure uh, as, as a church plant, um, the church gave me and my family a uh, sabbatical. So we went away for a couple months, and it was a wonderful gift from the church, and uh, they told us, people I talked to, like, if you go on a sabbatical, go away where nobody knows you, and so we went to the opposite corner of the country, and we spent a month in Washington State. So I wouldn't bump into anybody, okay? So we go out there, and uh, we got two places that we were going to stay for the month. And so we stayed at this one place in this area, and we had to drive to this next area. <clears throat> and I'm not sure how many of you are like this, but when I travel, I, I'm, so, I'm usually super laid back. I'm like chill. I'm very flexible. But when I travel, I turn into travel Ben. And I want to get from point A to point B as quickly as possible. All right? That's how I roll when I try. Hey, I, any, men, any amends for that? Anybody else that's like that? All right? Some of you are like, when I, when I travel, I mean, when my, my kids try to go into the van, the minivan with the, with the drinks, I'm smacking it out of their hands like, nuh-uh, we are not stopping. All right? I mean business when we travel. So I'm thinking, okay, we're going to leave at this time, we're going to get to the check into the house at this time, and I'm thinking, working all this through, well, I, made, I make the mistake of telling my kids that there's a Chick-fil-A on the way, all right? And we're, we're having this conversation because my, you know, kids, my kids are you know, born in, in the South, they grew up in the South, Chick-fil-A is just a part of their life. And they're on the third week of fasting from Chick-fil-A in the state of Washington. And there's only three Chick-fil-A's in the entire state of Washington, we're going to be driving by one. And I mistakenly told my kids that. And so all of a sudden we get in the van. It's like, Dad, we're gonna go Chick-fil-A. We're gonna Chick-fil-A, Chick-fil-A, Dad. Chick-fil-A, Dad. Dad, Chick-fil-A, Chick-fil-A, Dad. We haven't had Chick-fil-A in so long, Dad. Chick-fil-A, Chick-fil-A, Dad. We are Christians, and we're in the state of Washington. This is our missionary duty to stop at Chick-fil-A. We've got to eat Chick-fil-A, Dad. And so, you know, I'm just driving, like, oh. And there's this tension I feel, right? Because tra- is either travel Ben's gonna win out, or Chick-fil-A's gonna win. Both, both cannot succeed. Both cannot achieve the plans that they have, and so this is the reality that most of us have. The reality most of us have is this: we have God, what God wants, in one hand, and we want what we want in the other, and we've got to decide: are we going to do what God wants? Are we gonna want are we gonna see people? Are we gonna love people? Are we gonna live on mission the way God wants us to live on mission? Or are we gonna do what we wanna do? Are we gonna fulfill our plans and our ideas and our strategies? And that's the that is the the fork in the road. You're gonna all have that Chick-fil-A moment. But I love Chick-fil-A. It's so good. Yeah, but what is what is why what is the purpose that God has you here for? Because He has you here for a reason. God has placed you in this community for a reason. He's placed you in the house, in the neighborhood for a reason. He's given you your job for a reason. That everybody around you, the lostness around you exists for the purpose that God has called you to be a missionary in those places. And so we have to not see these as obstacles, but as opportunities. And here's the other thing that we need to remember, that Jesus, do you think the obstacles existed when Jesus lived? Absolutely. But Jesus came not, you know, he didn't let the the obstacles bother him. He came because of the obstacles, if you think about that. Jesus came because of our sin. He came because of our selfishness. He came because of the differences. He He came because of all these things, because he wanted to make a people for himself. And so these obstacles that we have are really opportunities, and they're actually the reasons that Jesus came to confront So that's the the second that we've got to understand is the obstacles to seeing the harvest. The third third, uh, step that we've got to do to seeing the harvest is our responsibility after seeing the harvest. Our responsibility after we see the harvest. When we see the harvest and we understand how we need to have compassion, our response, and we understand that we have to overcome these, these obstacles and look at them as opportunities. The third thing we've got to do is look what Jesus says in verse 37. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Jesus says, listen, I don't want you, the harvest is plentiful. If you sit here and you believe that people don't want to hear about Jesus, you are wrong. You're wrong. There's a study that came out a few months ago 79% of people who do not identify as Christians or go to church said that they would be willing to sit down with another Christian and have a conversation about faith with them. That means four out of five people who do not attend church on a regular basis would be willing to sit down and have a conversation about faith. That's the world we live in. That's America today. And if you believe that people don't want to hear, you are believing a lie. And, and so, one of the things that we have to confront is that Jesus says the harvest is plentiful, but the, the problem is not that the people don't want to hear. The problem is that there's not enough people out there sharing, the, sharing their faith. There's not enough people out there in the harvest field. We don't have laborers. So, Jesus says, pray. Pray. You see, when we see the harvest and we have compassion for the lost people, you know what that will do to us? We will pray. We're going to begin to pray what God wants. And so what we've got to do is when we pray, we see that um, we end up being the answer to that prayer. Matthew chapter 10, go a little bit farther in. He says the disciples, pray for the laborers in the harvest. And then next chapter, he's like, You're it. Go. Go into the harvest. And this and so he sends out the the, the disciples into the harvest to, to serve. And so this is this is one of the things we have to to understand is that when we begin to pray for the lost people around us, we begin to have a burden for them and then we begin praying for them. If we, if we don't understand that we, that you and I, that we are the primary access point for the gospel, okay, that you and I are the primary access point for the gospel, it's not the Sunday morning service, that will shift our mindset. And this decline that we see of people, the church is decreasing, lostness increasing, will reverse, because what we have to understand is, how? I, I, here's the question I want to ask you. How many times does the gospel, gospel go forward every week in Greenville? How many times? If you limit the primary access point to the Sunday morning service, and I don't care how great of a communicator is up here or all across Greenville, how great the music is, how great the church services are, how great the children's ministry is, how great all the church stuff is, I don't care how many great things are happening in, in churches across Greenville su- this, this Sunday morning. But my guess is this, that that the gospel, if, if we look at this time of week in this hour as the primary access point for the gospel, the gospel is only going to go forward a few dozen times every single week in Greenville. Or if every believer, if every disciple of Jesus in this city decided, I'm the primary access point for the gospel, that people hear about Jesus from me that the lostness around me, the people that are far from God but close to me, hear me talk about Jesus, then then we will see how many times will the gospel go forward in Greenville this week. It's either going to go forward a few dozen times or it's going to go forward thousands of times. That's the the choice. And we're never going to see a movement if we think that the gospel going forward on a Sunday morning service is, is the primary way that the gospel goes forward in our cities. This was so revolutionary for me. I remember when I counted up all the numbers in our city. And here's what I realized. If every person I, I live in Denver, North Carolina, and from when we are planting our church, and as we're working with other pastors together to, to, to address lostness in our cities, here's what I realized. We had churches that we had more churches planted, and we had, our churches were bigger than we ever had when I first showed up, you know, 10 years ago. But here's what I also realized. There's the, the, the population increased so much, the lostness had outpaced the church attendance. And if everyone in Denver woke up on a Sunday morning and wanted to come to a church service, we would only have enough for one-third of the population. That's all churches. That's not even gospel preaching churches. The number's going to be far lower than that. But this is the reality. We can't build enough churches to get people to hear the gospel. It has to start with us. It has to start with you. It has to start with me. And so we, 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 we must confront this, this mindset that the gospel, the primary access point for the gospel is the Sunday morning church service. You and I, God has placed us here. As I said before, God has placed us here for a reason. And until we begin seeing ourselves as responsible, that you and I are responsible for the lostness in this city, and what we want to see is every man, woman, and child in this city. Imagine if every man, woman, and child, if we had a vision for that harvest field that exists around us, that our vision is to see every man, woman, and child have repeated opportunities to see, hear, and respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ without having to go anywhere. That's what, we, that's, that's what God wants, and that's what God wants to see. So let me leave you with a couple questions to, 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 to really respond with to give you some time to reflect on. And here's the first question. What is keeping you from feeling compassion towards the lost around you? What is keeping you from feeling compassion towards the lost around you? If you've lost that compassion, if you've lost that deep sense of, man, I, I, I feel something for the lost people around me. If you've lost that, why is that? Do you see their sin? Do you see their differences? Do you see yourself more? But you need to identify that. Because until you confront that, that own obstacle in your own heart, you're never going to love people. You're never going to see people the way God wants you to see people. The second thing is this. How are you regularly praying for the harvest? How are you regularly praying for the harvest? Who are those people close to you, far from God, that you're praying for every day, every week? They're there. Jesus, if we're going to respond, if we're going to biblically respond to Jesus' teaching this morning... All I can say is this, that God wants you to pray. God wants you to pray for laborers, and God wants you to pray for the harvest. That's what he's asking you to pray for this morning. And then third question is this. Who is one person that God wants you to see through his eyes? Who is one person that God wants you to see through his eyes? Listen, we don't have to transform. You, you don't have to transform Greenville by yourself. You have to transform your neighborhood by yourself. But I promise you this, God has placed one person, at least one person in your life that's within your circle of influence that this person is here because God has said, I've placed them here. I've placed him there. I've placed her there because I want them to hear about my name. I want them to hear about the good news of Jesus from your lips. That's why you live where you live. That's why you work where you work. And that's why you go to school where you go to school. Because God is the, if he is sovereign Lord over all things, he has placed each and every one of us strategically in places to be among people that need to hear his name. Will they hear it from you? Let's pray. Oh God, we...